better way to start shoot your shot season three episode six while talking about a lot of what's been happening in the league nowadays we had a insane day yesterday and the day before where Embiid yours truly scored 70 points you got Carl Anthony Towns scoring 62 which essentially overshadowed KD's 42 and the Jays combining for four or for 73. There was a funny meme online that said um, Jalen Brown heard that Embiid got 70. So he decided to like uh, drop 77 as in like Luka Doncic on the crossover because he dropped him. So oh, that was that I was watching that game. That was single-handedly my favorite moment of the game. That was dirty, bro. Usually Luca's on the other end of uh those clips, not the one being done dirty like that. But yeah, um Jalen Brown was like, I make more money than you, so I'm gonna cross you up. And he did it <laughs> with a lot of uh confidence and he drained that uh shot. It was cash, nothing but net like the midi magician like you said so yourself the other day but yeah we got to review the league man um if you fast forward to nowadays compare it to only 10 years ago a mere 10 years ago you'll find that the warriors had an offensive rating of about i want to say like 105 106 and now that makes you literally the Portland Trailblazers have a better offensive rating than that. <laughs> so you're not even the 30th, the worst team in the entire league with one of the best teams offensive rating a mere 10, 15 years ago. So you're seeing the evolution of the game. You're seeing the rule changes being implemented and how teams and the league itself are warranting for everybody to score more. They're increasing the shot clock possessions after you get an offensive rebound. The uh, Indiana Pacers are kind of rewriting the rule book about how they run and down up the floor as soon as they get it. That's why I disagreed with you um, on our last episode when you said Pascal wouldn't be a good fit. Pascal's actually number five in the entire league in transition points. And what better point guard to give him that outlet pass than Tyrese? So it's like a jigsaw puzzle, actually. And yeah, no, that night in the NBA was absolutely berserk you got the jays going for 39 34 like we mentioned individually but nobody even talked about that because you got Embiid being the ninth player in the entire history of the nba of the entire sport hitting the 70 point mark what do you think and i would also add the only player ever i believe to get 70 15 and 5 in a game um you know, I think well, MJ was also no MJ had sixty nine. You're right. Very very nice performance by MJ. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Embiid was just going crazy. I think he finished like twenty three of forty one from the field or something. So he was making his shots. Only took two three point attempts. So it was really just bullying his way to the hoop, getting what he wanted, and only twenty one of those seventy points for free throws. So he basically almost put up a 50 burger you know just from just from you know the field which is crazy uh, um you know even against a team like the hornets that's you know again as you mentioned he's only one of nine players to ever put up 70 and get philly a, a nice team win and keep a good win streak going and 
kind of keep them towards the top of the East. Um, so my hat's off to Embiid, um, which of course makes him a bit different from Carl Anthony Towns in so far as uh, said performance was not only somewhat efficient, but also led to a win. Cause that was sure. the thing that was different in sort of that game um, versus Actually, no, the Sixers weren't playing the Hornets. They were playing the Spurs, excuse me. It the was the Timberwolves. Wolves that played. It was yeah. the Timberwolves who played to the Hornets and lost to them, despite Carl Anthony Towns' 62 points. But again, like it, it wasn't a super efficient effort on KT's part. And it almost looked like at the end of the game that he was trying to force it. Yeah, you know, maybe hit the set force of the 70 points. Um, you know, also it didn't help that Jade McDaniels and Anthony Edwards were basically no shows for that game, but because he was like trying to force up shots and force that 70 burger, it led to a very inefficient offensive performance in the clutch for the Timberwolves and the Hornets were ultimately able to pull away for what I believe was only their ninth win of the season, maybe their 10th win. It was their, yeah, it was their ninth win. So, yeah, I kind of also wanted to mention how Embiid's 70 overshadowed uh, Wembenyama's 33 on good shooting as well. I believe he was 10 for 19 from the field. So you got um, essentially a unicorn of itself in Wembenyama and a rookie, a true rookie, um, scoring 33 against a really good team in a nationally televised game. And we're not talking about it because Embiid essentially broke the Philadelphia scoring record in one game. So it was something so insane and berserk that we, nobody's talking about how Wembenyama had a good game. And if you actually look at his last seven games, he's shooting a lot better from the field. He's shooting over 50% from the field and he's shooting a lot less threes. He's making only about 33, 34%, but it's better than when he started out the season. He was under the 30s. He was well into the high 20s with his three-pointers because he was just trying to pull up whenever, whereas now he's kind of refined his shot selection a lot more. And you're seeing um, the coach, the Spurs coach, also playing the true point guard rather than uh, Jeremy Sohan as point. So he's getting a lot more looks in the rim. They're looking for him a lot more. So you got that going for them as well. So we kind of see... Wembenyama trying to improve his style of play compared to Chet Holmgren especially but a lot of people don't like to compare the two since Chet is not a true rookie but he has a lot more efficient numbers sure he averages a little bit less points per game but the amount of shots he takes to get to those points are a lot less therefore making him my personal um, leader to get rookie of the year but we don't really know since it's only halfway through the season and a lot can still happen. And speaking of Embiid's uh, last 70 burger here, I kind of want to mention how he was still in the locker room after the game to watch Minnesota's end. Uh, so he essentially made the reviewer, uh, the reporters wait outside way longer than they should have to watch if Cat was going to hit the 70 point mark and if he was going to win. And luckily enough, he didn't even do that. He choked the game away twice, and he lost the game. So Embiid came out to the reporters like 30 minutes late with a huge bright smile on his face. And yeah, I just thought that was worse mentally. 
Yeah, and also worth mentioning, um, because there are all these crazy performances on Monday, it was the 18th anniversary of Kobe Bryant putting up 81, 81. points. Yeah. So I, I think... What better know, way it, to do it's, it? Exactly. And it, 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 that's probably the reason why there were so many high-scoring games that day. I, I feel like it's one of those things where like it'll get glossed over, particularly by people who don't watch the NBA quite as closely, but for like all the players... Like I'm sure all of them knew that going into the game, and you know you saw a lot of very Mamba-esque performances with Embiid being example one A of that. Uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, in spite of having a very inefficient ending to the game, possibly choking it away, still put up 62, and Kevin Durant actually put up uh, 43, six and eight in their win against Chicago, which was a very Last second win, they were down by like I think twenty one or twenty two points as late as the the second quarter, maybe the very start of the third quarter. Um, you know, I'm pretty good shooting splits too, fifty percent from the field, forty percent from three, and of course, in the the Celtics Mavs game, the Jays combined for seventy three with with Tatum putting up thirty nine points and eleven boards and finishing the night as a plus twenty seven. And for whatever stock you put into net rating. Uh, so it's just a really impressive night of performances. It really goes to, it really goes to show you like, well, you know, sometimes us fans will like make fun of a certain player for having an off night or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you might call someone overrated or, or whatever else. But at the end of the day, these guys are, you know, they're, they're the best in the world and they'll compete, you know, their butts off every single night. Absolutely. And no less for a night as big as this past Monday. Yeah, it's almost like Kobe's Mamba energy was down within those basketball courts that night. And people use that to kind of channel their own inner Mamba and take it out on the floor and leave it all out there. Uh, may Kobe all obviously rest in peace. But uh, moving on, um, I kind of want to touch on the fact that Embiid is actually averaging more points than minutes played this season which I don't think has been done before and it's also worth mentioning that he has been scoring 30 and over every single game since November 15th which is absolutely insane and the best part is it's on good shooting splits too it's basically him going up to the free throw line and then having that patented fadeaway half fadeaway jumper and it's cash every single time and nobody can stop it not even a player that's taller than him uh, such as Wemby because he has the weight and the height so he's like um, a modern day Wilt Chamberlain a modern day Shaq but with a way higher pool of skill around him so I think he's standing out that much more and I think he's making a real good run for his money at a second MVP Because I think I told you this offline that a lot of the past uh, MVPs in the past 10 years have been runner-up MVPs back-to-back. So you got Steph Curry with the exception of Russ and Harden. And then you got Giannis twice. Then you got Jokic twice. So it's about time that Embiid has his MVP twice and make it past the second round. If he doesn't, I think people are still going to end up chirping him at the end of the day because when it comes to the playoffs, he simply doesn't play like this. So let's see if he can actually take it to the next level. 
And I'm interested to hear your take particularly on this because you're an Embiid hater, just like I am a Tatum hater, especially off the <laughs> podcast. So let me know what you think. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say hate Embiid. You know, I think he's <laughs> I think he's a great player, even if I don't like sort of the style of play where you're, you know, you're you're trying to, you know, be a free throw merchant, as some might say. <laughs> um and, and the re the reason. I don't like it as much as come playoff time when the game slows down, you know, and you have to play a seven game series. It's just not sustainable that the whistles are going to go your way every night. Um, so that, that, that's the main thing for Embiid and kind of the Sixers as a whole is when it, Embiid's not playing well. Um, they're even, we're even stretches of like last year in the Eastern conference semis and other playoff series where when Embiid actually goes out, the team seems to play a little better. Um, but of course, at the end of the day, you still need Embiid to be that guy, you know, the guy who can put up 70 in a game, you know, go like 60% from the field, taking 40 shots. Uh, you, you need that if, if you want to get out of the second round, if you're Philly. Um, I will say the thing that might help them is compared to past years is they, I think they have the right coach to get them over that hump. Nick Nurse, obviously won a chip with the Raptors four years ago or four seasons ago. And, you know, it's generally been a very tough coach, very, you know, very, very smart guy. who can adjust mid game um, as opposed to a Brett Brown or a doc rivers, the latter of whom we will talk about later in this yeah. episode. Yeah, um, sure. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see what Philly can do and, you know, I, I also will say that one other thing that helps Philly is they're a very balanced team, probably the second most balanced team in the Eastern Conference besides the Celtics. And they currently hold the league's second best net rating with the Celtics, of course, being number one. So they definitely, I think, have the team, the roster and the coach to get it done. It's just a question of can they kind of get the wipe the stench of the past years off them. Yeah, what I mean, yeah, honestly, Philly has a real shot this year, especially, like you said, with the coaching change. Nick Nurse kind of changed a lot of the schemes that Doc Rivers was running, especially come playoff time. So um, I think Doc Rivers would have essentially played the same style of play he did with Harden on the team if he didn't get fired, which is a lot of pick-and-roll-centered offense where you got your two best players, which in this case, it would be Maxi and Embiid running a lot of pick and roll and then kind of finding the mismatches within that pick and roll and essentially use that to score or make a play off of it. Whereas Nick Nurse has a lot more dribble handoffs, a lot more off ball movement when it's not having when people don't have the ball. So instead of just uh, essentially being stuck on the wings and the corners for the other players, which is a lot of a uh, Doc Rivers centric offense, you're going to find a lot more off ball movement, which essentially messes up the defense because you got a lot more players involved defensively, a lot more switching going on, which is essentially going to lead to either a mismatch or a miscommunication. And it's just easier to get those like quick buckets to essentially keep yourself up or catch up within the game. You don't have to work for every single bucket you're getting, like an iso ball type of where you're losing your defender or making them 
stumble to work really hard for that bucket never mind get like a low percentage far mid-range shot and only have it count for two points that way your star players are a lot more tired heading back they're not playing as hard on defense and it's just not a good um, collective style of play because the offensive players standing on the corners don't feel really involved so they're not going to really try as hard on the other end of the floor whereas Nick Nurse like you mentioned kind of implements everybody so they all touch the ball on either side and they just feel a lot more involved in the game they feel like they're contributing to the team's success as well as having Embiid still go all out and uh, essentially have better performances scoring wise but while also alleviating his assists per game that's why in that in that sense of the game when come playoff time um, they're not going to be sure whether he's going to pass or he's going to take the shot so that way they have a lot more messing up to do when it comes to the defensive side of the ball when Embiid has it as opposed to a Doc Rivers scheme where they already know that they're going to ruck the run the pick and roll with either Harden or Maxi and Embiid and then just either pass it right back for the open three or Embiid pulling up with that mid-range shot that he has patented at this point. So I think if um, this could be a, a good segue to essentially talk about how the Bucks missed out on having a coach like that, like a Nick Nurse, or like um, I think Nate McMillan was also um, one of the other coaches that was in the running for that position, the Atlanta Hawks old coach. And I feel like both of them would have had a better job experience wise because Adrian Griffin, as we all know, got relieved of his duties a couple of days ago, and it might have come as a shock to a lot of different people who don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. But when you ask all the analysts, the people who have essentially been looking at this story a lot more closely, it's not really that shocking to hear because it all started way back when he got hired to teach or coach the wrong team. Uh, when he got hired, Damian Lillard was not a Milwaukee Buck. He was still a Portland Trailblazer. So he had a lot more of a defensive mindset in that team, whereas he had to adjust drink just before training camp to um, essentially coach an entire new roster because of the Dame uh, blockbuster trade. And then on top of that, you had Terry Stotts, which is essentially Damian Lillard's really good a friend slash coach slash mentor because he walked him through becoming a superstar breaking out within that Portland uh, era that he had and uh, he decided to come uh, and join the Milwaukee Bucks's coaching staff as an assistant coach now mind you it's really hard to do that when you've been a head coach for five plus years when you have a lot of uh, experience even reaching the conference finals as uh, a head coach with the Mo. Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard being your main star so it takes a lot for somebody to kind of let their ego go on the side and accept a um, assistant coaching position compared to a head coaching position which they're already used to and uh, all that to say that there was an instance really early on when Terry Stotts was talking to Damian Lillard and uh, Giannis together to kind of run more about how they're going to mesh together, just learn more about their play styles. And then Adrian Griffin told him to join the coach's huddle. And then Terry Stotts told him to wait because he's talking to the players about something that's related to the game. 
whereas uh, Adrian Griffin reportedly used his quote-unquote uh, boss voice and raised his voice at Terry Stotch, which, mind you, is at least 20, 30 years older than him with a lot more head coaching experience and kind of forced him to join the coaching huddle. And then at that point, Terry Stotts was like, hey, man, I don't get paid enough for this smack, so I'm just going to quit. Mans resigned, which was a shock to Damian Lillard, especially because he enjoyed having him on that coaching staff. And then we all know of the instance where he subbed Giannis out that one game, and then Giannis literally sat on the scorer's table, essentially fought with his coach in front of the entire crowd, and essentially mm -hmm. subbed himself back in on top of Adrian Griffin's word. So those were all kind of signs and uh, just things that led to the essential uh, end game where he got let go, relieved of his duties. And it was also said that Doc Rivers came in during the season early enough and uh, during the in-season tournament specifically and played as an advisory role for Adrian Griffin to kind of guide him on towards how to uh, coach a star-studded roster like the ones they have in the Milwaukee Bucks. Keep in mind, after um, they hired him to do the wrong, uh, to essentially coach the wrong team, a different team. So kind of all those were dominoes and stepping stones to Adrian Griffin getting fired. And I agree with the decision. However, I polarly disagree with who he replaced, who he got replaced with, which is Doc Rivers, because like we both said, they're essentially going to end up um, selling a 3-1 lead because that's what Doc Rivers is renowned for. The fact that he's still getting high-class jobs as a person who's flexing one championship from all the way from 2008, mm -hmm. that should not be the case. He should be judged for his more recent performances. The only silver lining I see in my head of why Milwaukee hired him was because he coached Philly last season and he won with the Boston Celtics. So he might have a little bit more drive to coach the team, kind of like have a motivational speech to, with them during halftime or whatever to beat both of those teams on the way to the Eastern Conference uh, championship berth and then their first finals berth as a team. Other than that, I can't really find a good reason why um, they would replace a coach like Adrian Griffin with someone like Doc Rivers. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if we rewind even further back, you know, I know the Bucks had a really shocking and extremely disappointing end to the playoffs last year, getting gentlemen swept out of the playoffs as a one seed by the eight seeded Miami Heat, who of course lost an in season or non in season play in tournament game against the Hawks, um, possibly so that they could play the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals instead. Uh, didn't didn't um philly oh okay okay i thought you're talking about philly yeah, yeah last going year against boston okay. and of course that was the reason that they let go of their old coach mike budenholzer who had of course you know he was the first coach to lead them to a championship in 50 years uh the other thing too was he had just lost his brother in a car accident like days before the box got rid of him and that that whole thing just like that felt really wrong because like he wasn't a bad coach and ultimately, you know, looking at where the bucks are now, they probably would have been better off just hanging on to him. And he probably could have integrated Damian Lillard, you know, into their schemes. And, you know, even though they had disappointing end to the season last year, 
they you know they still were the one seed they still had a pretty good defense and one of the better offenses in the league uh, fast forward to this year they also missed out on the opportunity to hire Nick Nurse or even Nate McMillan who would have I think been good offensive coaches but also really could have found a way to maybe scheme up the defense a bit better particularly with the loss of Drew Holiday um, in the blockbuster trade but yeah from everything I read too it's you know you gave the specific examples but like a lot of like beat reporters for like the NBA or like the Milwaukee Bucks were saying that you know Adrian Griffin Giannis like did not get along at all like Giannis was not a fan of the schemes he was putting together um and when that's the case like when you don't even have your top player even top two players respecting you you, essentially respecting you along with you for the ride then it's never going to work out and I think the issue for Milwaukee, of course, you mentioned the issues with hiring Doc Rivers, you know, namely his inability to close out playoff series. Um, the other thing, too, is is Doc Rivers going to improve that defense because they can score very well. They have the second ranked offense right now, but they have like the 22nd or 23rd ranked defense, which has been playing even worse than that in January. And you know, really can't they really can't guard the perimeter that's their that's where you're feeling the loss of drew holiday and that's going to be a problem in the playoffs you know the nuggets did win a championship last year without a top 10 ranked defense in the league but they were like 11th or 12th they weren't you know bottom third in the league so that's going to pose a serious issue for the bucks and for those reasons i i think you know, unless Damian Lillard really hits another gear and is just, you know, playing lights out every single game for like two or three series straight, they're not going to make the conference finals. I I could see Philly making it before I see Milwaukee making it. Or maybe we're just going to be destined for another Celtics Heat conference finals. Who knows at this <laughs> point? Um, yeah, it would be yeah, that's... past the Heat. Especially uh, after that's... the trade that we're going to discuss in a sec, too. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, that's all to say that um, they went after people like Jeff Van Gundy, even who's been retired for a hot minute. Like he's actually, uh, he's actually a consultant for the Celtics now. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Or like an assistant, like assistant coach or consultant. Yeah, he joined yeah. this past off season. They were also going uh, after like the Warriors' assistant coach as well. Um, I think they just wanted someone with like championship pedigree experience to kind of like uh, toughen them through those moments. But that's all to say that Doc Rivers was not the man for the job. I think that's going to end up biting them in the back. Um, it was a decision from like the higher ups. The front office came down. It was reported that they were attending practices and they didn't see the players were too engaged uh, or responsive to Adrian Griffin and his coaching staff. So kind of came up from the higher-ups to let go uh, sooner than later so they're not in uh, remorse mode or regretting it when it's um, like the playoff time in May. But honestly, I think that's going to come back to bite them regardless. Like you said, I don't think a coaching change is going to change your defense, which is even worse in January, just like you mentioned as well. But it's currently sitting at 22 in the league, whereas last season they were fourth in the league in defensive rating. So 
obviously losing a player like Drew Holiday, like you mentioned, is going to stunt that defense. But I don't think anybody expected it to go down that much all the way from fourth to 22nd. So the only thing that they can do to essentially fix something like that is uh, either make a trade for a defensive-minded wing. I know they have Jay Crowder, who's uh, slowly ramping himself back up from injury. However, he hasn't played ever since the Suns kind of told him that he wants to come off the bench for Cameron uh, Johnson, I think. So um, I remember when Detroit's current coach, what was his name? Um, Monty Williams? Yeah, Monty Williams. He has fattest contract in the coaching history yeah. right now but i remember when he told cameron johnson that he wants him to start over um uh jay crowder and jay crowder sat out that entire season and now he's been with the bucks injured for half this season so you have a quote-unquote good defender i'm not going to take that away from him but he hasn't played nba basketball for a full season and a half so it's going to take a while so he comes back to his lateral quickness if he still has it because he's also getting older. I believe he's in his mid-30s at this point. So he's not going to have that burst that he once had back in the day. And the Milwaukee Bucks really need that. There's a reason they have the second best offensive rating in the entire NBA. That's because they're starting two guards who are snipers, not known anything for their defense. Whereas you'd rather have them trade for a guard like Marcus Smart, which would end up having the best show in sports with Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart, the former DPOY, going at it in the playoffs. I would pay so much money to see that. Milwaukee Bucks, if you're listening to this podcast, please go after Marcus Smart. I know he's currently injured, but trust me, you're going to make him way happier than he is on the Memphis Grizzlies. I would kind of hate seeing Smart in the other set of green, but at the same time, I, I do want him to be in a situation where he succeeds. He's a great guy, you know, has that dog in him. He, you know, is an excellent defender. I, it's, I know his defense dropped off a little bit last year, but he is ultimately still the reigning defensive player of the year. He's the first guy who will go to the, go to the floor or to the parquet to to get a loose ball or do whatever else you need him to do so i i hope so and it would be very interesting kind of a little uh inception or inversion from a couple of years ago in the conference semis of drew versus uh marcus except now drew is a celtic and marcus is a buck that would be very interesting a showdown um, to say the least i could uh i could definitely see it happening especially if the grizzlies are just like you know what we're rebuilding everyone's injured let's just like start dumping contracts Mm -hmm. maybe trying to get draft capital or you know try to get guys that we can develop over the next few years maybe become a playoff team again yeah i think if the bucks don't make a significant trade they're at least going to go after the buyout market just so they can add a little bit more defensive versatility on their team because like you said they're not going to make it really far when the game slows down in the playoffs with a Damian Lillard and uh, and uh, what's the two guard? Not Milton. Is it Milton? No. No. That guard. He's like the second best in the league in three point percentage right now. Beasley. Beasley. 
Yeah, you're not like going to make it that far with uh, Damian Lillard and Beasley backcourt. So hopefully they address that sooner than later. I really like number 44 on, on the Milwaukee Bucks. He's a really good wing defender. He's been getting prominent minutes lately, and he's kind of been helping them lock people up. But honestly, I think they are a few moves away, to say the least, from making it really far in the playoffs because that's a different beast, as we all know, than the regular season. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, so, so maybe... um, yeah, moving on, Um, kind of want to quickly just, like, gloss over the fact that Tristan Thompson is suspended for 25 games because of violating the anti-drug policy. No, I don't know too many details on what he was using, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't flashing a gun on your IG story like John Morant, but men's decided to follow in his footsteps and uh, leave the league because he wasn't playing anyway. So he might go back to getting that ESPN job, then just randomly pop up for the Lakers and the playoffs guarding Jokic, just like he did a few seasons ago. Never know when it comes to Tristan, hey? Yeah, so... According to NBA.com, he tested positive for Ibutamorin and SARMLGD4000. That's like steroids, like a performance-enhancing drug or something? Yeah. Man's is 33 and he doesn't play. Why is he doing that? I almost almost forgot that Thompson was back on the Cavs again. That's what I'm saying. He's playing for the Cavs, but why would you do that? That's hilarious. I don't even know. Maybe it's just like, you know what? I'm already owing a crap ton of child support or whatever anyways because I cheated <laughs> on my baby mama. <laughs> Might as well take some PDs and try to get back it's on the, the Kardashian curse, bro. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... Real, um, isn't, didn't, didn't Booker and the Suns have that awful Game 7 right after Booker either started dating or just broke up with, like... Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that was, oh, that yeah. was, a, gen, that was a Jenner, but still... It's, it's like the Kardashian, Kardashian curse, Jenner. man. They're all the same. They're all the same. They're all cut from one cloth, and it's the basketball <laughs> curse cloth. I'm telling you, um, don't don't yeah. date a Kardashian, don't date a Jenner. If That's you want to be good in the NBA, yeah, don't do that. If you so, want to win a ring, we should quickly also talk about the fact that LeBron James has played against 35 percent of the players, not in the season, not in the last 20 years since the inception of basketball. Mans has played against a third of every player who's ever played within the game, and he's still under 500 because he's surrounded by a horrible roster. And at 39, he's averaging 25 points, over 50% from the field, and 39% from three, mind you, on over five attempts per game. And LeBron is not known for being a good three-point shot. He's known for being a bulldozer like Giannis. And at 20 or at 39, sorry, he's averaging 25 points a game and his team is still under 500. While the Clippers next door have had the best record in the entire league since November because they are not a one inch punch. They're not a one two punch. They are a four punch with Westbrook, uh, Harden, Kawhi and PG. So honestly, I don't know. The Lakers need to figure it out, man. Honestly, like, especially for LeBron, he's going to be in his twilight years. He deserves a better exit. You know, I mean, the, I know the man's won three rings with three different teams at this point, but still, 
It, it's crazy. It's also crazy, as you mentioned, that he's played with over a third of the guys who have ever, or he's played against a third of the guys who have ever played this league. I think that just goes to show you how special LeBron is, not just for his skills, you know, his competitive drive, his kind of winning attitude and everything else, but also just his longevity. You know, he's, you know, obviously, you know, injuries are definitely a matter of luck or health in general, but LeBron has shown himself to be a really durable player who really takes care of his body and one million a year. He's he's reaped the benefits of it in so far as he's into what is like 20th season in the league now, 21st season. And I, I think he's has at least a few good more years in him. You know, I'm, I'm sure he's chasing another ring. Hopefully, well, uh, I say this very cautiously. As a <laughs> fan. I kind of want to see him win something else. They did get an in-season tournament dub, which I guess counts for something. Um, yeah. But I know LeBron wants the real thing. Wants the, he for wants sure. the Larry. He wants the Larry Obi. For sure. Yeah, it's going to be really hard with the Clippers next door going 27-7 and seven since November 17. But uh, yeah, honestly, uh, the Lakers have a lot of trade rumors, which we'll get into when we're back after the commercial break. <laughs> Once we get sponsored. <laughs> sponsored by Gatorade. Please, Gatorade, sponsor us. All right, so yeah, essentially... I think that the Lakers should go for high-quality defensive role players, which they've already missed their fair share on, like OG and Pascal. But uh, some do remain, like, for example, someone low-key like a Nicholas Batum is super glossed over nowadays, or even like a John Collins from Utah. I think he's a little bit too expensive for them, but someone alongside that archetype, not a... um. Uh, reddish for example who can't shoot the ball to depend his life and uh vanderbilt which is like a negative on the offensive side of the ball unless he's getting like an offensive rebound which is really good obviously but then again he has no shooters to kick it out for so at the end of the day the lakers need to address uh trading for solid long wing defenders that can shoot which are at the same time the most valuable archetype in the entire league nowadays but unfortunately they keep deciding to go after superstars like Russell Westbrook now they're targeting DeJounte Murray who I don't think really solves that many of their issues because D'Lo's been playing really well as of late and DeJounte is arguably a step down from how good D'Lo has been playing in the last couple of games with a little bit better defense but he costs like five ten million more per season so why would you risk having that when you just simply don't really have any more options i really think they should have went for og because that would have helped them tremendously it would have been like another ruby hachimura for them which is a perfect pickup for them last season so they need to make a lot of moves or i don't even think they're going to make the play in never mind the playoffs yeah i think yeah, that, that's kind of the tr- trouble for the Lakers. You do need more wing defenders, but more than that, you need people who can shoot the ball and score it because that's the Lakers' main issue right now. Like, the Lakers can – they can defend. Like, they're, they're a pretty good defensive team, but they're one of the absolute worst offenses in the league. 
haven't watched a ton of Lakers basketball other than when they play the Celtics or a big game like the the Lakers Clippers from a night or two ago. But you know, from what I've watched, like their offense is just really hard to watch. It's very stagnant. I mean, even against that, the the Clippers a couple nights ago with no LeBron, their offense really fizzled out towards the end of the fourth quarter and they just weren't able to keep up with the Clippers, who has been a top five offense in the league overall this year and has been one of the absolute best teams as late since no since the end of November, the very best team, you know, record wise. Um you, you, yeah, so that's the main thing for the Lakers. But as you mentioned, you know, those types of wing defenders are often very expensive, you know, usually prohibitively. And it's really something the Lakers should have addressed in the offseason. You know, now you can kind of pick up the pieces a bit through the trade, but it's tough. It's tough to make the salaries match. It's tough to, you know, especially if you need to get like a third team involved, you know, then you're looking at like maybe draft picks and some cash compensation. So I that'll definitely be a challenging for the Lakers. Somebody like cheaper that they can go after. I don't think the Mavs are going to let him go, but like Josh Green, for example, a good point of attack defender who's always running, always hustling, but can actually shoot. Because you might say they have someone like that, like Cam Reddish and Jared Vanderbilt, but Vandy cannot shoot to save his life. And Cam Reddish is like one for five at best. So at the same time, addressing those issues is going to help LeBron and AD be play a lot better because they're going to feel a lot more comfortable on the defensive side of the ball and addressing their three-point shooting. They are by far the worst three-point shooting team in the entire NBA right now, and they have their record. So imagine if they were just mid of the pack. They don't have to be a good three-point shooting team because they have like the best defensive center in the game in AD and a, like, one of the GOATs and LeBron. So like all they need to do is just become a medium three-point shooting team, and then they're going to start winning back-to-back games. They're going to go on winning streaks. Other players they can try, uh, try to target, for example, is like Dorian Finney-Smith. DFS on the Mavs, had, he was known for being their best point-of-attack defender and knocking down the three. If he's too expensive for you, you can go, against, uh, you can go after people like... Uh, well, I don't want to say Mikal Bridges because he's more expensive than DFS, but that would be like a dream scenario for the Lakers. I feel like he would be the perfect fit alongside LeBron and AD, and he would sort of compromise like a big three for them. That's like my dream trade as a, a Lakers fan, but more realistic targets are, for example, like Royce O'Neal. Uh, just good wing defenders were going to harass the ball, uh, the ball handler on the other team and knock down shots. Uh, OG Ananobi and uh, Mikhail Bridges are the gold standard for this archetype, but those guys are too expensive for the Lakers unless they want to give up way too much. And honestly, I also think that they shouldn't be starting Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell together because they're the same type of player. They, they're both point guard playmakers who need the ball to be effective. Um, Austin Reeves isn't shooting that many catch and shoot threes like he did last season. And D'Lo is, however, he's just not as good when he doesn't touch the ball as much because I think he just, like, cools off. He just dissociates. He disconnects. Whereas Austin Reeves, whenever he gets the ball, he starts to essentially dribble out the shot clock to try to get to his patented mid-range pull-up rather than 
try to work with the team to try to facilitate an easier, quicker shot. And that's essentially what's their downfall right now is offense and three-point shooting. And getting someone like Mikal Bridges or more realistically Royce O'Neal DFS would be the perfect player to put them across the edge, improve their three-point shooting offensively, and uh, even enhance their current defensive schemes, which are, like you said, really good already. Exactly. And I, yeah, I, I would say, you know, if I were a Lakers fan, Mikal Bridges would be absolutely my top choice. I, I think he also deserves a bit of a better situation than what he's currently For getting sure. in Brooklyn. You know, that, that's a really a team just heading absolutely nowhere. Um, But, you know, a, a DFS could be pretty cool. He's been, yeah, definitely a, a high point for the Mavericks, particularly for their defense. And I think really one of the guys that, that kind of keeps it together, keeps them more in the middle of the pack um, versus kind of trending towards the bottom. Um, But, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing for the Lakers to figure out. Um, but that's kind of the it's kind of the weird thing about the Western Conference is you only need to go on like a five or six game win streak and then all of a sudden you climb from you know let's say like 11th place up to fifth or sixth. Well, that's exactly what the Suns did, they were in like 11th and now they're in fifth because they went on a six game winning streak, yeah, exactly. And now, you know, now the Rockets, for example, are, are plunging into now they're in the 11th spot. You know the the Jazz have overtaken them, and it's kind of interesting because like uh, the Lakers are one game below five hundred or half a game below five hundred, but then the two teams above them, the Kings and Mavericks, are pretty good teams. But that's just kind of the weird thing about the the West, and, and even the Lakers and Jazz are only four games behind the six seeded Suns, so. A lot can change with, you know, 38, 39, 40 games to go. For sure. Yeah, so moving on, um, we can discuss a trade that actually did happen. It's not really a blockbuster trade, but I would kind of classify it as one because of that jersey hanging right there in my wall. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite player, which is not really a star player by any means, especially nowadays at 37 going on 38, Kyle Lowry has been traded for Scary Terry from the Charlotte Hornets. So um, everyone's saying how <laughs> essentially the Heat fleeced Charlotte by giving them Lowry on an expiring contract and getting Scary Terry, which has, I think, three years left on his deal. He just renewed like a year ago, and he's getting within the 20 million range. So it doesn't add that much cap space. They actually let go of some money, so they have even more have space to sign someone else and I don't think the Heat are necessarily done making moves you can never put anything like that past them because they have one of the best front offices in the entire NBA and they arguably have the best coach in the NBA because I don't think uh, Mr. Spurs has a lot of um, I just think he's not getting better let's say that because he's been through he's been coaching the Spurs for like what 20 plus years He's he, he's getting he's getting up there in age. So I think Spolstra can essentially at least tie him at this point for the best coach in the entire league, uh, especially over the last couple of seasons. Like that's no debate. He's been taking a bunch of scrubs in reference to the NBA, of course, 
obviously they're superstars compared to not even an average player, uh, a really good D1 athlete. But in in re- in reference to the league, he's been taking a bunch of scrubs to the NBA Finals in the last four years, and he's not not done it once; he's done it twice. So, uh, yeah, I would not put anything past uh, the Heat's front office to go ahead and make even more moves or even find diamonds in the rough like they're known for doing and just completing that roster, padding it up slowly and slowly, slowly but surely to essentially face those top dogs in the East. So another reason why I think they got Rozier was because he had a very quite long Celtics tenure. And what better way to get a player that wants to beat their old team with motivation now on a contender when he was putting up really good numbers? I think he was doing 24 points on like 45 plus percent from the field, 37 percent from three and watch his numbers go up. People say he doesn't play defense, but if you're on the heat, you're kind of forced to do so. So I think now that he's on a contender, People say he's short. He's 6'1". Well, Lowry was two. That's number one. Number two, Lowry doesn't have a 6'8 wingspan at 6'1". So the man can guard. Trust me, the man can guard. They don't call him Scary Terry for nothing. He can take over games. And it was an astounding pickup for the Heat. I don't think they're done making moves. I think that kind of puts them above that echelon for essentially guaranteeing themselves that fourth spot in the East. We both predicted that the Cavs would have that spot. But after this trade, I think with the Miami Heat culture, their style of play, I think they're due for the fourth, maybe even the third spot. Yeah, I agree. So so the way I look at this trade, I think, yeah, the Heat might be looking for a bit more depth, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And Scary Terry absolutely can guard. I mean, in the 2018 first round, he he locked up Eric Bledsoe pretty bad to the point where Eric Bledsoe pretended to not know who he was. And to be fair, it seems like Scary Terry didn't even know because after that game, he called him Drew Bledsoe, former Patriots oh, quarterback by accident, which was a genuine mistake, I believe. Um, but yeah, anyways, so like he he absolutely can guard guys, you know, lock them up, make life hell for them. Um, one thing I will say though is don't. Don't don't make us Celtics fans mention what he did in Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals that year. Zero oh, for ten yeah. from three. Ooh. If Damn, you want to know why, bad shooting game. Between that and the Rockets missing twenty-seven straight threes, if you want to know why <laughs> it was Cavs Warriors that. and not Celtics Rockets, oh god, there's your answer on both counts. Um, I think he's gonna so, make so just, up for it just on the Heat though. Just don't don't play it. Just don't play him in a game seven or have him shoot threes. <laughs> uh, all kidding aside, I do think it's. A he's very not good even game. old, dude. He's twenty nine. He's like in his prime right now. Oh, I Terry Rozier. Oh, trust me, I know. Like yeah. he's he's very good, very good depth on the offensive side of the ball, and he'll be a solid defender. He's you know again he's short, but you know he's a very tough guy. He can get very mentally locked in when he's all in. And as for Lowry, I. He he could be kind of an interesting scenario. It could kind of be like a Westbrook cluster where he's traded to a team that's not really going anywhere. And you could see maybe something like a contract buyout. Um yeah. I don't really know where, you know, what teams might be on the short list to get him or what kind of contending teams, because I'm sure there are plenty of teams out there that could want Lowry as sort of like a veteran presence, yeah. good leadership and 
you know, he still plays tough. Like that, that's the thing. Larry may not get you a ton of points per game, might get beaten on defense sometimes, but well, he'll always give it his all. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, yeah, no, I definitely I don't I think he's Larry's been yeah, in the league as long as he has been, you yeah. know. But yeah, and he is a championship to his name. Yeah, one one where the ring hasn't even started collecting dust yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fairly new. Um, yeah, I definitely don't think he's going to stay on the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, reports have already come out saying they're actively looking for him to land somewhere else. Um, I do think they're going to end up agreeing on a buyout deal for him just so he can go to another team while not being paid $30 million a season at 37 years old as a 6'1 overweight point guard. So... He's definitely not done. At the same time, I don't think he is the player he once was. But uh, that being said, you mentioned it right. You hit the nail right on the head. He's going to be known to provide that sense of leadership, that defensive tenacity off the bench. He's going to be the first person to step in front of the offensive player, whether it's Giannis LeBron, and take a charge when it matters the most because of that cushion on his lower behind. So we all know what Kyle Lowry will be valuable for you because of what. And at the same time, I actually predict that he's going to end up on Philly because that's where he's from. And he's always wanted to go there. I don't see him kind of leaving the Eastern Conference. And it's between Philly and Toronto because I'm not sure if he wants to retire at the end of the season and hang it up. However, I really wish that he would retire a Toronto Raptor because he is the greatest Raptor of all time, in my opinion. All the Vince, T-Mac haters, Kawhi, DeRozan, you can come talk to me. I'll say my facts. He is the best Raptor of all time. He led us to a championship. Nobody else did smack. And he was there for seven plus years. So he totally deserves that title. But that's besides the point. I digress. Um, I think he's going to end up on a contender. But not, that's not to say that the um, he essentially... Well, they didn't really fleece the Hornets because they gave them a first round pick. But trading a 37-year-old point guard who's at the twilight of his career to a point guard who's 29 averaging at least 25 points a game is definitely a steal to say the least. No, I completely agree. And, you know, for Lowry to, uh, even if he ends up, you know, back on like a Raptors team, which, you know, might not be playing for much this year, but he's kind of back where he belongs, where he won his first and only ring and also you know the franchise's for first ring um made it to another I, finals I but they lost special. so i think it would be very i think it would be very special for for everyone involved and i think it would be the right way to to end his career um you know for the hornets i mean again it's likely he has a contract buyout so i don't really see much for them on you know for good or for bad it's kind of just you know Char charlotte similarly is that they're in rebuild mode you know mm -hmm. they have lamello they have a couple guys but otherwise they're they're not doing much it seems like charlotte wants to offload guys for the most part anyways like i think they're also shopping around one of the worst people in the league not as a player but as a person in miles bridges um, <laughs> yeah you know, yeah. so they're I, I think Charlotte has fully 
embrace the rebuild. So, you know, as I said, I don't think they'll keep Lowry around. And again, I think he deserves to end his career on a much higher note than being on the Hornets. Yeah, um, I think if if he gets traded, uh, if he doesn't want to retire at the end of the season, he's going to end up at a contender. If he does, I think he's going to go back to the Raptors. Exactly. Can you like in the NBA like sign like a one day contract so that you retire on a specific team? I think he's actually it? said that now that you say that you're reminding me. Yeah, I think he said that even if he does that for a one day thing, he just wants to retire as a Raptor. So yeah, absolutely. Um, sure a team I kind of want to touch on real quickly is the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Isn't it odd that we kind of don't talk about the champions from two years ago anymore because they're in the 12th seed in the in the West right now with the 18 and 22 record. And mm-hmm. uh, they got Draymond going through all that drama. They got Wiggins playing the worst he's ever played. Uh, isn't it crazy that Wiggins literally had a better rookie season than his numbers right now? He averaged more points. He shot better from three and the field in his rookie season in the NBA compared to what he's going through right now. So I don't know if it's a mental blocker. I don't know if it's the family thing from last year. I don't know if it's like the championship high that's like too late catching up to him. It's definitely something mental. I don't think it's a physical phenomenon that's making him play this bad. But uh, speaking of trades in the Warriors, I think that they are essentially like losing out on a lot of good prospects. They were linked to Pascal Siakam a lot. I don't think that would have essentially solved all their problems. I think Wiggins, if pick if he picks up, is a lot better than Pascal fit-wise on the Warriors. But that's to say that they haven't really been making that many moves when they should be when playing when they have Steph Curry playing like that they don't even have people talking about them anymore and then on top of all that they lost one of their assistant coaches so they're definitely going through one of the worst seasons they've had um like in their minds I don't think nobody could have ever like predicted what would have happened to them it's unfortunately like a domino effect of bad luck back to back to back for the Warriors but I really hope that they play themselves out of this because I don't not want to see them in the playoffs they're like it's it's the end of an era there in a couple of seasons and um you know you're gonna have like a statue of Stephen Clay outside uh, the their arena in San Francisco so the Chase Center I I really th- I really want them to play themselves back into the season and I think it's up to the front office to make a trade because you got Steph going out on the record saying the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and that's what they have been doing uh they got a little lucky in terms of having a few games postponed uh while they were going through the rough patch so hopefully they can kind of pick themselves back up and get back up on the horse eh Yeah no I I totally agree I think Again, Wiggins has probably been the biggest disappointment, especially when you consider, again, like two seasons ago, he literally outplayed the Celtics' number one option, Jason Tatum, in the the NBA Finals. I mean, other than Steph, you can pretty much point to him as the reason they were able to pull that out in six games despite going down two to one early on in the series. And in that game four, making it look like they might go down three to one. Um, It's just really tough because... The other thing, too, is I've also been reading that Jonathan Kuminga is really not happy with his role. His role, yeah. I think he actually got benched recently. He hasn't been playing so good, hasn't looked very engaged at it on the court. So it's just really, it's just really discombobulated over there. And I mean, Steph, Steph's been playing as good as he can. I mean, I know he had that 
a few really rough games over the last little stretch, including that one game that broke the streak of consecutive games with at least one made three, um, which I can't remember yeah. how many games it was, but it was, it was an a absurd lot. record. I think 250 plus. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, Clay to start the season was playing some of his worst basketball of his career has looked a lot better since like, you know, maybe December, but overall the team's just not on the same page. And I, at least with the Lakers, you can say like they need a wing defender who can score. For example, with the Warriors, I don't, it's vague, right? I don't know how you fix the Warriors because they, over the last 10 games have had the worst defensive rating in the entire NBA, they have the most turnovers per game out of any team in, in the league. Um, they've had a, a lot of turnover issues. Actually, even last season, they were really struggling with the turnovers. Just because they move the ball a lot, but they still shouldn't which, be getting that many. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, yeah, I mean, you know, if Wiggins, heaven forbid, maybe ends up in a trade himself. You know, that could also be the end for the Splash Brothers. I mean, Draymond, as you mentioned, is going through his own thing. It feels like it's kind of the end for Draymond, too, either. News came out that he got snubbed from the Olympic roster for the 2024 Olympics because of his antics. Which, to be fair, like, I I understand. Like, the thing is, there's so many good or, or even great players in this league who would be better, I guess, representations of what America yeah. should be as you know as humans because you go on the international stage you don't get to like punch people sure. in the face you don't get to <laughs> tackle them like you're an NFL linebacker <laughs> so you picked the wrong yeah. sport <laughs> exactly but you know if, if that's kind of the end for Draymond it might be the end for Steph and Clay too and I would really like to see them go out on a higher note at least i mean they did win that championship a couple years ago so they do have that in their back pockets but steph curry has one more in him man steph curry is a generational talent he transcended the game he changed it he's single-handedly responsible for the skill level increasing in the nba we wouldn't have guards like trey young tyrese maxi uh quickly yeah you wouldn't have those like six two guards like darius garland making 36 million dollars a year you wouldn't have front office paying small guards that much if it wasn't for steph curry so he initiated a paradigm shift within the game and for him to go out like that is not fair to him it's not fair to the warriors fans it's not fair to the warriors organization so uh do you have any like proposed trades uh i know we kind of vaguely touched on it saying that like we don't know how to fix them necessarily, but honestly, I'm gonna go out on a whim and say they need like LeBron James to fix them or something like that. Imagine LeBron being traded to the Warriors. Oh my goodness. That would be, I mean, they would probably win a championship in that case. Cause the other thing too is like they also yeah, they're they're just discombobulated, you know, Steph and Claire in their twilight years. So they just need they would need like a veteran who would change the game and you know could really get them over the hump. And LeBron is that guy. Chris Paul is not that guy. Oh, oh my god, Chris I forgot Paul. he was on the Warriors. He's uh-huh. been injured for so long, I forgot he was on the Warriors. It's been very I feel like they're gonna use him as a trade piece, if anything. 
maybe on yeah, top of it, Andrew Wiggins too. Because he had a few games where he played really well, but other than that, Chris Paul's been not so great. And then he fractured his hand. He's gonna be out for a minute. Yeah. So averaging like, eight and seven, which is really good for a 39-year-old point guard, but he's not available and availability is the best ability sometimes and he's yeah, just exactly. not there and he's super injury prone especially at this point in his career like he's more well known for doing state farm commercials than playing games at this point like a good neighbor state farm is always <laughs> um yeah so that's kind of the thing is like there's like so much wrong with the warriors that i don't even think a single trade can yeah fix tough. it you might get you might get like a guy who can maybe make the defense a little bit better, but that might only get you like the nine or 10 seed in the West with just how competitive and stacked it is. And, you know, if I think there, if I were to guess which one guy would be part of a trade package most imminently, it would be Kimenga, as yeah. I mentioned earlier, because well, he's their best seems- player, but they're kind of deeming him as untouchable, but not really. Uh, yeah, it's, it's he, he's say. frustrated. He's frustrated with his role, though. So I think he yeah. he might try to force his way out of Golden State. Yeah, you have them out of like a short break because of obvious reasons. Right now, going against the Hawks, it's halftime, and they're right there. It's sixty nine, sixty eight. So if they're struggling against a team like the Hawks, which is all the way in 10th place in the um, Eastern Conference with a way worse record than them. The Warriors are lower at 12, but they're 18 and 22. The Hawks are 18 and 25. And we all know how, even though DeJounte hit back-to-back game winners like DeRozan did last season, I still think uh, there's a huge Trey Young, DeJounte Murray problem. They just can't coexist in the same backcourt because uh, DeJounte is just not willing to play shooting guard. He's more of a point guard himself. So uh, him playing off ball kind of hinders their performance as a unit. And then you have uh, players alongside him like Bogdanovich having like one of the best three-point shooting seasons of his life, and they're still losing. So they're even saying that uh, Trey Young might be put on the trade block because if you look at stars who have been disgruntled in their teams, like, for example, LeBron and his first Cavs stint, he asked out after seven seasons, and it's Trey Young's current sixth season with the Hawks. So uh, you have a lot of uh, big-name players who just simply don't want to be in the situation that they are anymore. And uh, another example might be Luka if they don't fix the defense around him, but uh, that's a tangent within itself. Uh, yeah, I don't think the Warriors, if they're struggling against Atlanta right now, can be fixed with one trade, like you said. And it's going as far as affecting Steph Curry which is having a, a really good season, especially at age 35, 36, not being an all-star starter. He has people like Luca and SGA, which we're going to get to right after this, um, uh, like faring him over in the fan vote, especially. So you're kind of witnessing the end of an era in the NBA. You got uh, new new, new guys like Tatum, Halliburton, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel Quickly. And then uh, people, legends like Steph Curry and uh, Damian Lillard even, they're just being like an afterthought at this point, which is essentially like a wake-up call, especially to the Warriors front office, that they should do something before it's too late. No, I agree. And 
just to touch on the Hawks for like 30 seconds, I, I could also see them blowing it up because they've gotten nowhere since that 2021 conference finals run. And the thing with Trey Young is, you know, everyone jokes about him being a defensive liability, but it's a hundred percent true. The Hawks are bottom five defense in this league and their offense started really hot this, this season, which is why they were like top five, but now they've kind of regressed to the mean and, you know, combine an average offense with an awful defense or vice versa. And you get, you know, uh, one of the worst teams in the league. Um, but yeah, I, I feel horrible for Steph and he, he, Clay, he and Clay especially deserve to go out on a much higher note than what they're going to get this season. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a good segue to kind of like uh, talk about all-star break. It's coming up in Indy. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think Halliburton's going to start, even though the Pacers aren't that good record-wise. I think the fact that he's taking the league by storm, leading the league in assists, shooting 40% from three, averaging 25 points a game. He's just way too much of a stud to not start, especially because he made so much noise going through heavyweights during the in-season tournament, kind of put himself and the Indiana Pacers on the map. They went as far as from rebuilding to trading for Pascal Siakam. And that's simply because of Halliburton. So I have him as a starter for one of the guard spots in the East. And then this is a point of contention because the other person I have, well, I want to put Damian Lillard. Don't get me wrong. Like from a a pure emotional standpoint, I want to put Damian Lillard. But I can't because Donovan Mitchell is having a way better season than him on all aspects. And sure, you might say that Damian Lillard's team is doing better, but I can assure you it's not because of Dame, unfortunately. And that's coming from a Dame fan. He's my second favorite point guard in the entire NBA. And I just can't put him on top of Spider because Spider, when two of the top four players on his team have been out for the last, like, couple of months now right they haven't played mm-hmm. since december uh, uh garland broke his jaw so and before he did that he was also having a multitude of injury problems and then mobley who was like the, the third pick in uh, a couple of years ago's draft has been also sidelined with an injury so it's pretty much him jared allen and a bunch of other role players and Jared Allen was an all-star in his own right, so nothing to take away from him. But outside of him, Mitchell's been solemnly leading the Cavs to a massive win streak and taking them all the way from like sixth, seventh in the East to fourth under the top three. And we both know that the top three are really good teams. So I have Mitchell starting over uh, Damian Lillard and Jalen Brunson. Uh, a lot of people think Jalen Brunson should be starting, but... Honestly, I can't really say much when it comes to Jalen because you can't really take it away from him. He's definitely been their go-to guy. I think he should have been an all-star last year on top of Randall, but the coaches elected to put Julius Randall there on top of uh, Jalen Brunson, which I definitely disagreed with. So I definitely think he's going to be an all-star. I just wouldn't put him as a starter, even though when it comes to individual stats, he is slightly edging Donovan Mitchell he's averaging 26 points on 47 and 42 from three whereas uh, Donovan Mitchell is averaging 27 points but 
uh, on 46 and 34. So his efficiency is a little bit less. I just think purely because of the fact that half of his team is injured and he's still higher than New York. After New York acquired my favorite Raptor left in OG Ananobi, uh, nothing to take away from Brunson. He should be an all-star, just not a starter. And then uh, I think it's pretty uh, universal that the front court should include Giannis and Bede and Tatum for obvious reasons. So I won't waste too much time on that. And then when we go to the West, um, I obviously have LeBron, KD, and Jokic. That's pretty universal as well, in my opinion. Not too much to talk about there. However, the two guards, uh, I have Luka because he's the second in the entire NBA in scoring. Sure, his team isn't doing the best, but the guy has ascended himself into a legitimate three-point threat on every possession. He's damn near averaging a triple-double on high efficiency, so I have him starting. And uh, it breaks my heart to say that SGA is starting uh, for me on top of Curry because I really want Curry to start, but because of reasons we just got into right now, I think SGA, uh, especially when you take the team's success into account, should be uh, 31 points versus 24. Uh, yeah, just keep, I could keep going, but I'll give you some time to uh, state your all-star starter predictions. Yeah, for me, the East, the only one where I struggle with was that yeah, like the guards. So I, I was considering Brunson over Spida or Dame, but it, it's tough because honestly, I agree with you. Brunson should have gotten it over Randall last year. I thought it was insane that they, they basically picked the wrong Nick to be yeah. a starter last year. Um, For the West, I actually had the same five as well. Um, I really like Curry, obviously, is a generational talent, but I think you've gotten more consistent production this year from SGA, and he's spearheading what is currently the number one seed out West. Um, you know, SGA really? is playing some very inspiring basketball, so I would put him in... I would put him as a starter over Curry, even though that one's also really hard. And then Luca, I think, is... I think is a pretty obvious one. And then back courts, or excuse me, front courts where we're in agreement with. Um, I think the only one is Halliburton like a hundred percent now. Is he still versus uh hamstring? For starters, no. I think he's a hundred percent an all-star, but in terms of starters, uh so the way it works is the fan vote takes 50% of the weight and then 25% goes to the media. The last 25% goes to the players. So it depends on who, who they vote for because we got the third uh, returns from the fan votes and we have those lists. However, mm -hmm. um, we need to wait to see what the media and the players will vote for the starters. And then you have the coaches who put in the reserves. But yeah, just to say uh, before you kind of respond that we're kind of witnessing a generational paradigm shift in the NBA nowadays. Uh, we're seeing uh, legends like Damian Lillard, Stephen Curry not being automatic starts, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it's making us feel a little bit old, honestly, <laughs> that you got uh, young studs like Hallie Mitchell, uh, even Tyrese Maxey, who I think might be a lock as a reserve uh, but uh, yeah, uh, one of uh, my biggest snobs actually will be Jamal Murray because I don't think he's going to make it even though he deserves to do it. 
yeah, that was that one's also really hard. But I think the other thing too for Murray and and for Hallie, I when I when I said good, I mostly meant like from the injury side, just because he missed time with that oh, hamstring injury. Um, so I meant like, was he good to go health wise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hallie's been going crazy this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. For Murray, it's kind of the same thing. He's been going crazy, put up an insane performance against the Celtics a few nights back. Um, but it's just too deep, and he's also missed a little bit of time this year with injury. Yeah. So I would definitely prefer to give it to the guys who have been consistently on the court and you know playing, playing like an all star. Not that Murray hasn't when he's been there, but just you know the guys who are consistently healthy and putting up for their teams. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 oh,